0: As, uh, as I finish off Luke this morning, uh, but uh, in my mind's eye, I can see all of you where you're sitting. I know that the uh, the Lewis's would be right about there, and uh, I know Karen will be right there, and the Brinkerhoff's there, the Perry's there, and the Gilberts would be there, but they're away this weekend. And so, uh, you anyway, know, I can't see you physically, but I'm, I'm with you spiritually. I'd ask you please stand with me in reverence for the word of our Lord to read our passage this morning. Luke chapter 24, verses 50 to 53. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the word of our Lord. Let's continue to commit our way to him in prayer. Almighty God, we praise you for your great blessing. We praise you for all that we have learned through our studies in the gospel according to Luke. We praise you, Lord, for all that you have taught us and all that you've done in us and through us. And Lord, we know even though we can't fully see it, we know that you have used this. Lord, to shape us and to mold us the image of Christ. We thank you for the ways that we have seen it. We pray that this work would continue to abound in us and through us for your glory and for the building of your church. Lord, I pray that Luke's testimony of the person and work of Christ would resound in our hearts for the rest of our lives and on into eternity. We pray, Lord, this morning with a sense of expectation from your Holy Spirit that you will fulfill your promise in us through the power of your spirit. We pray, Lord, that even this morning that the things that we consider as we consider, Lord, all Christ's blessing, as we consider his ascension into heaven and all that that means for us, we pray that you would help us to respond to you with worship, with obedience, Lord, with great joy, and that we would echo our blessings back to you. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we've done it. We've made it through to the end of Luke's gospel account. It's taken us almost two and a half years, but by God's grace, we've walked through Luke together. Luke has been our travel companion through COVID, through a church split, through a host of other events, both enjoyable and not so enjoyable. Luke has been a faithful counselor, guide, And friend. It's said that all good things must come to an end, but is that true? Must all good things come to an end? In a word, no. As I explained as we finished Genesis a couple of years ago, all that is truly good is eternal. And the reality is our studies in Luke are not really coming to an end. We've only come to the end of volume one, Luke's gospel account, but the story continues and our time with Luke continues with Luke Volume 2, known as the Acts of the Apostles, or more appropriately, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I anticipate this will take us over a year, just a little over a year, to finish Acts. Luke is the longest book in the New Testament, and Acts is the second longest. That means that Luke has written more than a quarter of the New Testament. Well, than anyone else, by the time we get to the end of, of the Gospel, or sort of the Acts of the Apostles, or the Acts of the Holy Spirit, we'll have walked through over a quarter of the New Testament, just with Luke's study. These two volumes, Luke and Acts, cover over 65 years of history, the most pivotal period in all of history. One volume ends, but another is about to begin. And there are many parallels between the two books. Luke details the birth and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Acts details the birth and ministry of the church. Luke and Acts are both addressed to Theophilus. Luke. Jesus is born. In Acts, the church is born. In Luke, Jesus heals. In Acts, Peter and Paul heal. In Luke, Jesus' teaching leads into confrontation with the Jews and the Romans. In Acts, Peter's teaching leads him to confrontation with the Jews. And Paul's teaching leads him to confrontation with the Jews and the Romans. In Luke, Jesus' mission leads him to his death in Jerusalem. In Acts, Paul's mission leads him to imprisonment in Rome. This is not Luke's gospel. This is Luke's gospel account. It is Luke's account of the good news. It is not the good news about Luke. It is the good news about another person. It's about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Christ's gospel. In Luke 1, 1-4, he says that many have undertaken to compile a narrative. And Luke speaks of the things that have been accomplished among them. The things that God has accomplished through Jesus Christ in his plan of redemption before their very eyes. There were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Luke compiled their testimony before Theophilus in order in, to an orderly council. So the, Theophilus would have certainty considering the, the things he's been taught. And we also can have certainty through the things that we have been taught. So Luke here has written down the testimony of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and then in the book of Acts, that gospel is entrusted into the hands of the disciples. Luke summarizes the gospel account himself in Acts 1, 1, and 2. As follows, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Luke ends with the ascension of Jesus Christ, having risen bodily from the dead, Jesus now rises bodily to heaven. After spending more than 40 days, after, rather, 40 days ministering to the disciples, he departs to the right hand of God. Luke is the only gospel writer to narrate this event. He will do so here, and he do so again in Acts chapter 1 by describing the same event in more detail. Luke's focus here is on God's blessing. Jesus blesses the disciples as he departs. In fact, he is blessing them and and departs in the very act of blessing them. The disciples respond by worshiping Jesus and returning to Jerusalem with great joy and being in the temple, they bless God continually. So Luke chapter 24, 50 to 53 provides a bridge between one epoch of God's plan of redemption and another. As I mentioned last week, Luke is centered on the work of Christ. Acts is centered on the work of the Holy Spirit to direct people to the work of Christ. In his gospel account, Luke tells us who Jesus is and what he did to save his people. In Acts, he tells us how the apostles, through the power of the Holy Spirit, spread the gospel and instituted the church in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. The church is now responsible to fulfill the Great Commission, following in the footsteps of the apostles. The task is not yet completed. The torch has been passed to us. As the Reformation Bible study testifies, the ascension marks the end of the work Jesus came to do on earth and the beginning of what he continues to do in and through the church. I see two main points in our final passage in Luke. In verses 50 and 51, Jesus' blessing and departure. And in verses 52 and 53, the disciples worship and joy. So first of all, verses 50 and 51, Jesus' blessing and and departure. As we read, sorry, as you reach Luke 24, 50, it's now 40 days since the resurrection. Luke doesn't describe what has taken place during that interval, saying only he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Acts 1:3. John gives us some more insight. He tells of, tells us of additional appearances to the disciples, including one with doubting Thomas and another on the shore of the Sea of Galilee with the reinstatement statement of Peter. So now, at the end of the 40-day period, Jesus leads his disciples out as far as Bethany on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. It's about three kilometers from Jerusalem. Bethany was also the launching point of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and a believe that he will return to the same spot when he returns at his second coming, Zechariah 14.4. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and on the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. So as Jesus and the disciples are gathered here at Bethany, Jesus lifts up his hands and blesses, blesses them. They are blessed personally by Jesus Christ. And we understand the disciples had no rights to his blessing. Quite the opposite. They've proved themselves unworthy by their unbelief and by their behavior. But the Lord blesses them nonetheless. We need to understand that we have no rights to his blessing either. We are equally capable of unbelief and we are equally capable of bad behavior. But the Lord blesses us as he has blessed them. I wonder, do we understand what it means to be blessed by the Lord Jesus Christ? We end our church services, "The Lord bless you and keep you." We sign our emails, "Christ's richest blessing." We end our conversations, "Have a blessed day." We even say, "God bless you" when someone sneezes. We use the word often, and I think that at least sometimes it's, it's actually amounts to taking the Lord's name in vain. And it belies the fact that we do not really understand the blessing of Christ's blessing. The full blessedness of being blessed by Christ. Often people think of blessing as receiving earthly pleasure and comfort. And of the so-called prosperity gospel, which really is no gospel, have made this foundational to their doctrine. But even those who rightly called prosperity gospel heresy, can wrongly understand blessing. Pleasure and comfort can be blessings, but many people who are blessed don't receive earthly pleasure and comfort, and many people receive earthly pleasure and comfort and are not truly blessed. Blessedness is sometimes confused with happiness, and unfortunately some modern Bible versions reinforces misunderstanding. As I explained in my sermon on the Beatitudes back in Luke chapter 6, blessedness is not merely a transient emotion dependent on one's temporal circumstances. Blessedness is a state of spiritual prosperity, of deep-seated joy that is grounded in eternal circumstances regardless of earthly challenges. Blessedness comes from being beloved by God, and it is the sole possession of those who are in Christ, so Christ's blessing is not just for apostles. It's not just for capital D disciples. It's for all disciples. All Christians are blessed by God, as we'll see in a few moment, In a few moments, respond with blessing to God. Ephesians one three. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. While Jesus was in the very process of blessing the disciples, he parted from them. But as we'll see, this parting was not sorrowful. Jesus was parted from them and was carried up to heaven. And again, only Luke records this. Jesus was ascended bodily into heaven. It in has glorified the body. He was not just able to appear and to disappear, but he was also able to bodily ascend to heaven. He ascended bodily to heaven, and he now dwells bodily in heaven and he will do so until his bodily return from heaven. This is a, a profound mystery. But again, it is one that cl- is clearly testified to in Scripture. The angels in Acts 11 said it clearly, This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And so Jesus ascended into heaven specifically to his father's right hand. Remember that Peter had accused Jesus of blasphemy for saying this in Luke twenty two sixty nine. 69. From now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. But the blasphemy was theirs. Jesus truly ascended to heaven and was truly welcomed to his Father's side. He has returned to his Father. He has exalted, been exalted back to his Father's right hand. He returned to the glory that he had with God before the world existed. John 17, 5. We can only imagine the heavenly homecoming. We can only imagine God's great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. Ephesians 1:19 to twenty one. So Christ's ascension was also His session. He was, once again, exalted to sit at the throne of the right hand of God. Acts 2.33 His work on earth during his incarnation was completed, so unlike the work of earthly priests in the, in the old covenant, whose work was never finished, Jesus now sat down. That's his session. He sat down. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews one three. Christ conquered and sat down with his father on the throne, Revelation 3.21. In fact, the only time that Christ is described as standing during his session before his return is at the stoning of Stephen in Acts 7.56. Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But just because Jesus is now sitting on the throne does not mean he's inactive. Far from it, Christ's ascension and session leads to his intercession. We've discussed this many times from Romans 8:34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And Hebrews 9:24. For as Christ has entered into the, not into the sorry that Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So Christ is right now in the heavenly holy of holies, interceding for you. As J.C. Wiles says, He presents on their behalf the merit of his own sacrifice and obtains for them dim supplies of mercy and grace. So Christ blesses the disciples and ascends. And his ascension results in his session and his intercession. So how do the disciples respond? Verses 52 and 53, the disciples respond with worship and joy. To this point, the disciples' response to Jesus has been less than exemplary. We've seen repeatedly how the apostles failed to do to to respond to Jesus Christ correctly. They they have not been the the most trustworthy recipients of his instruction. Yet Jesus is going to entrust them with the good news of the gospel as he departs. So what's changed? Well, as I explained last week, one of them betrayed him. Another denied him. They all deserted him. They didn't understand his crucifixion, and they were all slow to believe his resurrection, even though he clearly and repeatedly taught them what was going to happen. What's changed is that Jesus has just explained to them everything written about him in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms, the whole Testament. He showed that it was all fulfilled, and then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Verse 44, and 45. Lord Jesus has opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Again, 40 days have now elapsed, and Jesus has obviously continued to teach them during that time. And the change that is evident in the disciples is plainly obvious. The disciples are finally presented as responding to Jesus as they should have responded to him all along. They finally get it. They finally get him. It's not that they understand the the complexities of the hypostatic union and things like that. None of us get things on that level. But they understood what the scriptures taught about Jesus. They understand the meaning of his life and his death and his resurrection. They understood that he had to depart, but that he would return. They finally understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. And they finally respond to him for who he is and what he came to do. And so Luke lists four key responses of the disciples in verses 52 and 53. First and most profoundly, look at the beginning of verse 52. They worshipped him. The disciples worship Jesus. This is the first time that Luke says directly that Jesus was worshipped. Again, the disciples finally understood who Jesus is and what he came to do. They now knew without a doubt that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God incarnate. Their faith is planted securely in him as a Lord and Savior. They finally understand that that Jesus Christ is God and is worthy of worship. It is only God who must be worshipped, and here Jesus is being worshipped. Matthew 4.10, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. To respond with worship. Now look at the second part of the response. Obedient. Jesus had just instructed them in verse 48, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. John records a side trip to Galilee in John 21 as the Jesus as a fulfillment of Jesus' instructions in Matthew 28:10. But Luke testifies here that the disciples were obedient to Christ's command to wait in Jerusalem for the sending of the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit's power. And so as Acts opens and Luke retells this event, they're in Jerusalem waiting. And in Acts 2, their hopes are realized powerfully with the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the second aspect of their response is their obedience. The third aspect of the response is seen in their journey back to Jerusalem. Look at how they journeyed. With great joy. Last time, remember in verse forty-one, we saw the disciples disbelieve for joy at the resurrected Christ. They had joy mixed with unbelief. They thought it was too good to be true. And now they knew that it was all true. Now they were filled with unmitigated joy. They weren't saddened by his departure. J.C. Ryle explains. The, the disciples rejoiced because now for the first time they all saw things clearly about their master. The veil was removed from their eyes. The darkness had at length passed away. The meaning of Christ's humiliation and low estate. The meaning of his mysterious agony and cross and passion. beginning the, uh, the meaning of his being Messiah and yet a sufferer. The, the meaning of his being crucified and yet being son of God. All was at length unraveled and made plain. And They saw it all. They understood it all. Their doubts were removed. Their stumbling blocks were taken away. And now, they, at last, they possess clear knowledge. And possessing clear knowledge, they felt unmingled joy, end quote. So then the third response is great joy. And finally, the disciples are described as being continually in the temple, blessing God. Christ has blessed them. He is ascended in the very process of blessing them. And now they are in the temple continually blessing God. Remember that Luke began his gospel account in the temple. And it is in the temple where he finishes it. Luke began with the priest Zechariah in the temple being told to wait for the arrival of God's promise. The coming of his son, John the Baptist, who proclaimed the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now Luke finishes with the disciples in the temple waiting for the arrival of God's promise, the coming of the Holy Spirit to empower their proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while they wait, they bless God. What does it mean that to, to bless God? Well, to bless God means to hallow God's name, to exalt Him, to, to praise Him, and to worship Him. They have been changed so radically. They were so full of of awe and love and worship of God, that they did this continually. They were never the same again. But what is your response to the risen and ascended Christ? Is it like that of the disciples? Like the disciples, do you worship Christ? Or do you forget Christ through much of your day? Do you come before Christ, maybe even this morning, with a ho-hum with a attitude? Or do you worship Christ from the depths of your heart for who he is and all that he came to do? Do you glorify him with love and devotion? Like the disciples, do you obey Christ? Are, are you, Or are you characterized by disobedience? Are you trying to, to get away with as much as you can or, or just with doing the bare minimum? Or are you seeking to understand Christ's instructions, His commands, all of them? Do you love His commands? are you seeking by His grace to walk in the faithful discharge of your gospel duties? Like the disciples, do you rejoice in Christ? Is your life characterized by great joy? Or do you portray a a dour, uptight personality, just a, a stiff upper lip? Or are you overcome with thankfulness for your great salvation? Are you filled with spiritual joy that transcends your temporal circumstances? Are you characterized by this and does that joy exude before others? Like the disciples, are you blessing God? Or are you generally self-absorbed and bent on seeking your own pleasure and fulfilling your own goals and desires? Or are you continually Blessing him by praising him and exalting him. Are you blessing God while you wait for the fulfillment of your of His promise? Are you blessing God while you wait for His return? Again, just just reflect for, for a moment on on this morning. Think about your attitude as be saying hymns, praising God. Think about how you. Listen to this sermon. Have you been distracted and daydreaming? Or have you been consciously blessing God from the heart? Now, we have received the same blessings as the disciples. But we have to admit that we don't always respond with the worship, obedience, rejoicing, and blessing that is displayed by the disciples here. Sometimes we look more like the disciples did previously. Well, that's you, and that is all of us to some degree. Go to Christ. Go to the Lord. Go to the one that Luke has so clearly given us an account of. Go to, go to Christ, reliant upon who He is and what He has, has done for you. Ask for His forgiveness. Ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal your sin to you more deeply. Ask Him to grant you repentance. Ask God to fill you with worship and obedience, and joy, and blessing in response to Jesus Christ. Over the last two and a half years, week in, week out, we've heard Luke's testimony to Theophilus, the lover of God. Ask God to help make you a lover of God. Ask God to help you so that he'll be glorified as so that the gospel will be written on your life. Jesus has spent most of his earthly ministry on the move. He journeyed from one location to another, loving and serving those he came into contact with. He taken his penultimate journey as he rose bodily to heaven. There is one more journey yet ahead of him when he returns back to the spot from whence he departed. Again, Zechariah 144. On that day his speech shall stand the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mountain will move northward and the other half southward. Jesus Christ will return bodily just as he ascended. But when he returns, he will not be absent from heaven for instance, heaven will come with him. The new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, Revelation twenty one two. And until that time, brothers and sisters, we have work to do. The work that has begun through Christ in Luke will continue in Acts through the apostles and will continue through us, the church, until the day the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you for the gospel, for this great and glorious gospel, the only means whereby sinners can come into the presence of God and into relationship with God. We praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son incarnate, the Messiah, our Lord, our Savior. We praise you that he fully fulfilled all of the, the righteous requirements of the law. That he died as a lawbreaker, not for his sins, but for our sins. We praise you and wonder and marvel at the fact that he bore in his body the sins, the guilt of the sins that we committed. That He bore your wrath in his body for us. We praise you that that was not the end of the story. We praise you that Christ rose from the dead on the third day and that 40 days later he ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to the apostles that they would testify of his gospel. That the church would be established through the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. We praise you that the church is is continuing to grow through the ministry of your church. Help us, Lord Jesus, as your church to faithfully and accurately proclaim who you are and all all that you have done for this sin-sick world, that many would turn from their sin through the power of your Holy Spirit, that they would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ through us and that your church will continue to increase and abound for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as usual, When we finish our study of a book of the Bible, the last word is yours. Now is your opportunity to talk about something that the Lord has shown you through our studies in Luke. Something of the the person and work of Christ. Something of the the depths of the glories of who he is and, and the wonder of the fact that he's called us to participate by serving him in this world. So, this is your opportunity to come and to testify of the way that your heart has burned what Christ has opened to you, the
1: scriptures. All right, brothers and sisters, as John mentioned, we have that opportunity. You, you probably remember, although it's been a while since we've done this because we've been in Luke for a little while. But if you do have something that you would like to share, um, feel free to come up and, and stand in front of the pulpit and share a brief testimony of something the Lord has laid on your heart in our exploration of Luke's Gospel.
2: I would like to just say that uh, these last couple of years have been very enriching for myself and for my wife. Um the depth to what we've heard through the Gospel of Luke has enriched our lives. We've been able to see more deeply and clearly the meanings of the parables that are so often hard to understand, but uh, God used John through the preaching of the Gospel to illuminate that to us. And it felt many times... To be so, we're almost there with the the disciples uh, as the Gospel of Luke was being shared with us, and so I know for Judy and I, it just seems so re- so much more real uh, as we've listened these over these last two years, and uh, yeah, we've been really really blessed with uh, the Gospel of Luke and uh, how it's. It's a long process being sanctified, but I know that uh, God is using this to do that for us. Thanks.
3: One specific thing that stood out to me was uh, seeing and understanding more deeply God's effectual call. And uh, I saw that specifically in chapter 18 when Jesus uh, is approached by the rich young ruler and uh, he asks him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And so Jesus tells him the commandments and he says, well, I've done all these. So Jesus says, there's just one thing you lack, sell that you have and distribute to the poor and then come follow me. So to forsake his earthly life and his treasures, but he became sad and he, he couldn't do that. And so... Jesus said, um, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so those who heard, they said, then who can be saved? And he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So there we I saw, I was, saw that, okay, without God working in the heart of the unbeliever, we can't come to faith. But then in chapter 19, you see Jesus and Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And so he was a very rich man, and um, he went and he ran ahead because he wanted to see Jesus, and Jesus called him out of the tree, and uh, came to his house, and Zacchaeus repented. So it's like you see that, you know, a rich young ruler comes, and he can't be saved, because he won't forsake his way and it's only possible with God. And then Jesus shows himself in the next chapter to be God because he calls Zacchaeus and changes his heart. So that's just what what encouraged me, give me a deeper understanding of that.
4: Morning. It was an encouragement to me, uh, especially the the preaching on the transfiguration and after the transfiguration. Uh, not that I'm happy seeing the the flaws of the disciples, but uh, when John was preaching a message called "The Disciples Stumble Again," after the, the the transfiguration, they were discussing who amongst them were the the greatest, showing the like how our human hearts are fragile. They just saw. Jesus transfigured, and they were ha- overwhelmed with his glory. But after a, mi- a moment, he—they already were acting as nothing has happened. Like it so, it shows God's patience and and goodness toward us. Like how fragile we are, but He's He's acting uh, over us with grace and and mercy in every moment. And also, it was helpful for me to understand some hard hard passers on um, the scriptures and good thing on expository preaching that you can't like s- escape on one verse they need to read all the verse so it's, it's helpful to understand some hard passers
5: it's hard to remember everything but um for me, uh, every Sunday the message was so good, <clears throat> and um, I am so, um, so thankful that in every message uh, Pastor John really showed us the gospel really well, Jesus' gospel really well, and um, <clears throat> for me um, at the end of Luke 9, I really appreciate that, about, um, <clears throat> it's called Who is the Greatest? Jesus uh, predicted his death and his suffering and then the disciples they were arguing about who was the greatest one, but Jesus told us that uh, the least and the servant is the greatest. So it was a really good reminder for me um, about uh, humility and love and service um, and uh, that how great Jesus is because he exemplified um, humility, love and service. And he set a good example. Uh, for me and for us, so I was so grateful for that.
1: Over the past couple of years, I had uh, many occasions to harbor Anger and resentment and um, unforgiveness, maybe? Ill will towards the governing authorities. um, For decisions that I felt were unfair or irrational or uh, uh, unnecessary. And when John preached on Luke 19, when Jesus was asked, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And then Jesus explained, right, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. It gave me the opportunity to re-examine my heart and to consider what, what was Jesus' attitude towards the authority that was in place at the time. And to remember those authorities were put there by the Lord himself, that there is no authority except the authority that God has established. And so that was an opportunity for me to repent and to re-examine my attitude and to see how my heart towards authority was not Jesus' heart or attitude. And uh, t- to give, give an opportunity to, uh, to examine myself and to yeah, see my pride and self-righteousness and rebelliousness and uh, des- uh, uh, not wanting to submit to what God has put over me. And so, uh, obviously, we we give to God what is God's. Um, But oftentimes, I could see, you know, my rebellion towards strange and irrelevant rules. What I saw was not, it was not attitude towards, it was ultimately a rebellion towards God. I didn't want to submit to the the authority that God put in place. And then the the other thing that I really appreciated from this uh, exploration through Luke was the slow pace that we spent in the past couple of months in Jesus' trial, his death, and then his resurrection, I I appreciate how much Luke slows down, and how much John slowed down, so that we could really contemplate in detail, little by little, just the the, the entire journey of Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem. Right, that's the whole more than half of the book. Right, from chapter nine, I think, all the way, and. And, and, and then at the, the past couple of months, especially focus on his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Praise the Lord uh, for the blessing of his word. Praise the Lord that he has given us his word week in and week out, that we have received uh, opportunity to behold the Lord Jesus Christ through the word of Luke's gospel.